everyone. This is Erica, and I just have a brief disclaimer before we start episode two of our Eternal Oblivion podcast. I've already got some really great feedback from all of you who are listening, and I wanted to let you know that as we continue to engage this heavy topic, and along with my promise not to try to fix everything for us or for you or for myself, I did want to make it very clear that we offer spiritual direction and opportunity to engage on a one-on-one basis. And so if you're finding that this content is troubling for you or challenging you and that you would like to have someone to process that with, I'd love to do that with you. Just reach out to me at my email. It's E-R-I-C-K-A at holydistrict.org. And let me know that you would like to do that. We can schedule a Zoom call if you're far away or we can meet up for coffee or lunch or something if you're nearby. I would really love to do that. Also want to let all of you know that we have found out recently we're having some technical difficulties with our contact form. So if you've reached out using the contact form on our website and you haven't heard back from us, that's why. So just go ahead and use our social media uh, accounts or my email address if you'd like to get in touch. All right, without further ado, here's episode two. Okay, you're the scientist. Bring it on, bring it on. You've accepted facts. Facts and belief. I know the religious people believe. The scientist says prove. What do you believe? What do you think happens when we die? Well, so I, I, I can make some unassailable statements about what happens when you die. So you spend your life eating food. Food has a calorie content, and calorie is a source of energy. Calorie is a unit of energy. You bring it in, and then the energy is available for you to maintain your body temperature at nearly 100 degrees, it's 98.6. How do you keep something at 100 degrees when nothing else around you is? You're burning energy to sustain that because biologically we need to be at that temperature to function, okay? You also need energy to walk and to move. That's why you eat food. The moment you die, what happens? You don't maintain the energy. Your temperature drops. How far does it drop? To room temperature. At a funeral in the casket, if you touch the hand of the person in the casket, your first thought is, the body's cold. No, it's not, it's room temperature. But it's cold compared to 100 degrees. They're no longer burning this energy. Okay, so now, every one of your molecules has energy within it. If you get cremated, that energy gets released in the form of heat. And you heat the air, and that air radiates to space. You get buried, which is how I wanna, my body to be disposed of, bury me. Bury me, because you know why? I don't want the energy content of my body to just get radiated out into space of no use to anybody. Put me in the ground. Let the worms, microbes, come in and out of my body. And the energy content of my body that I had assembled over my lifetime, consuming the flora and fauna of this earth, my body then returns to them. And thus is the cycle of life. I know that's going to happen because you can measure where the energy goes. And that's how I want to go out. But you're not conscious, and that's for eternity, right? Uh, Yeah, there's no evidence that I have any consciousness of anything. And by the way, is that so weird? Did you have consciousness before you were born? Were you saying, 
how come I'm not on earth? My gosh, I need to be on earth. Or how come, where, where am I? No, you, there's just the state of non-existence. Oh. And so I'm not given any yeah, reason. Yeah, but now I am born. Okay. And I can't stand the thought of non-existence. This is Erica Henry, and you're listening to the Holy District Podcast. with this episode, episode two, entitled A More Compassionate Place. In it, I pick back up with my sister Emily, our conversation that we started last week, and we're just basically talking about (laughs) the absurdity of this idea of eternal oblivion and the effect of the anemic Christianity that Emily has experienced on her ability to process this idea of death and the potential that when we die, perhaps we merely cease to exist. I'm really glad that you're back with us on this episode too. If you're just joining for the first time, I would encourage you to pause now and go back and listen to the first episode. That way you can pick up with us where we left off now when I join the conversation with Emily again. Here we go. I went to my grandfather's funeral and I opened a can of worms on accident and my brain will not shut the door. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been told several times, just don't think about it. <laughs> Great. Okay. Great advice. Right. It's right. like, I would love to not think about it. I would love to be able to, you know, dream things with my kids and, and just, yeah, we'll be together forever. I'm not there. I can't. I mean, I I say, yeah, you'll live with me forever. But then I literally think about forever. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I really, I guess from the time that I could remember, believed that we basically did live forever. Be it here or heaven or hell or wherever. And like I I think I told, told you, even that's not... I'm not scared of going to hell or to heaven, um, you know, or whatever it may be. That would even give me some peace. To know that there is some kind of extension of your life, that there is a consequence, whether positive or, ne- or negative. Yes. There, it sounds like there is a sense of absurdity that you feel that if yes. this is it... And when I die, I'm buried and I become food for the trees and the worms. And that's all that this is. That feels absurd. Yes. And then that um, filters back into all of these other parts of your life that have to do with purpose and Mm -hmm. family and planning and values and hope for the future. And uh, I think one of the things that I understood as you're sharing with me is just how many aspects of life this touched that it wasn't just, I don't want to die. Like I'm afraid of being like making a speech in public or I'm afraid of spiders. It was, this is, this has to do with my existence. Almost every conversation, every experience I have, it's touching this 
thing that's now open inside of me and saying, what's the point if, if this is it? Yes. And I'm not someone that would just, I'm not, um, I don't, I'm not a mean natured person. I'm not, um, like a, I mean, I'm selfish, but I'm not a very like, um, self-centered type of person that I would just fold. Um, but it's very much like, I, well, why have any aspirations? Like, Mm. I mean, I, uh, again, even if this fear that I have, I do want to experience life to the fullest. But again, it's just kind of thinking about your soul and thinking about who you are, like this conscience that you have. It could just be gone. We could just walk out today and I could be gone. Mm. So then I'm not going to know. That's terrifying. Mm. So talk to me about, you sent me a video and I think it was created by the Secular Humanist uh, Society about this is the this is the worldview of secular humanism to say, hey, we don't need God to be good people and to be morally upright people. And actually, right. when we get rid of this idea of the afterlife as a reward or a punishment, what that leaves us with is people making a decision to do the right thing from a pure motive rather than from an impure motive, which is to get something for it. Right. And and so the argument is so believing that we stop existing once we die frees us from mm-hmm. that compulsion toward trying to earn some kind of candy or, you know, the carrot at Your the end ticket. of the stick and instead frees us up to make decisions to be good people because this is all we have and the brevity of life and this and the scarcity of it and the sheer chance that we would be alive should be enough. Right. You know, I think that's kind of the, the idea there. You sit a video to me in a text and said, garbage, you know, like essentially you're like, I know, like, I don't like this. I feel like I should agree with this, but I don't like it. Right. So that takes us more into like the philosophical or religious aspect of what this experience is and what has been for you. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Um, well, especially with having gone back to school and, and dabbling in philosophy, I really did love learning about the different religions and things that came way before, um, what we know in modern day Christianity. Um, so I remember sitting in those classrooms and thinking like, yeah, God, as America knows it is just a load of crap and really just being okay with, we're just here and you make the best of it. Um, but if I'm being real and I've said this to you, am I just needing to have that faith, faith and hope? And, um, so, so I can just get through life and I'm still just going to, you know, be buried and gone. Mm. Um, so it's hard because it's hard for me to look at religion and philosophy um, I re- I really do enjoy philosophy because it to me it's more of like a hypothesis, you know. I wanted to pause here for a moment and just let that last statement that Emily made simmer a little bit. That from Emily's perspective, philosophy 
is a rich place because it's a space where you can pose questions and hypotheses and explore, whereas religion is more concrete. I can say that the place that I'm at now in my spiritual journey, I, I don't see it the same way. And yet, as I sat here with Emily in this interview, I resonated with, with what she was sharing. Because Emily and I both grew up in a faith context where things were concrete. We learned that we were bad, uh, that we were on the wrong side of God, and that we were deserving of eternal conscious torment. We learned that the only way that God was willing to forgive us was after offering his son to be killed. We learned that we had to believe certain things and not question them, and that doubt was sinful, and that if we did not believe those certain things, and if we ever wondered or changed our mind, that perhaps we wouldn't be safe. And wrapped up in all of this is that is this understanding that at the end of this life is our eternal life, this disembodied experience of us being whisked away to heaven or perhaps condemned to hell. Something I was noticing as we were talking is uh, how anemic this framework is for someone like Emily. What do you do when the very foundation of a belief system, this, this fear of eternal conscious torment, a fear of hell, is no longer a fear. (laughs) What do you do when the primary motivator to believe in the person of Jesus is no longer scary, but actually comforting? (laughs) And when Emily shares that, what is so discomforting to her at this point is not that there would be eternal consequences for for our choices in this life, but that it's possible that we may just cease to exist. That doesn't make sense to her. That is the thing that is unsettling her. And so I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued at this moment because the Christianity that I have come to know is one that actually has philosopher theologians at its core exploring the mystery of God with metaphor and analogy and possibilities and interpretations. It's a Christianity that has Jesus at its center. Jesus, who we believe is creator God in human flesh, who experienced death himself and came through the other side. The Christianity I've experienced has a lot of room for the questions that Emily is wrestling with. But I know that's not the Christianity that Emily has experienced. And that's what she's going to continue to share with us as we move forward in our interview. And perhaps you can relate to her. So let's get back to it. So it's hard because it's hard for me to look at religion and philosophy um, I, re- I really do enjoy philosophy because it, to me it's more of like a hypothesis, you know. But it's like 
I still can look at these and have it at face value. Like someone could have just man-made this to cope, Mm. you know, just to have the hope that there's something still out there for them when they're done. Um, so that's been difficult and I have been trying more for like sake of routine and just like with the pandemic, getting our kids out of the house in, in safe ways when we, we ended up trying to go back to church and just having like a routine. Um, our girls do believe in God. They don't really know my, my or Aaron's views on things. We let them, you know, really be independent about that. And they're very much like they say that they're God's princesses and things, things that I've never said. <laughs> so I just go with it, right? I, I let them tell me their stories and things. So I encourage these things. And we went, we would go to church and I was like experiencing the same things that I did, not on the same level, but when I was um, like when I was 20. And like I told you, um, I went to a, um, an Assemblies of God church, very heavily more on the Pentecostal side, I would say. And I was basically told, like, all the things that I liked, you, you have to strip it down. You can't just like the music. You can't just like um, the way certain people preach or speak, you know. Like, it just really has to be, like, in a prayer closet, fasting, like, just, you know, you and Jesus Um, the other stuff is just, but I don't connect that way. I, I've always connected more for any, with anything through music, through conversation. So if I can't experience God in those ways, um, then I, when I'm at church and things, I don't completely, first off, I don't validate what I'm feeling in worship. Right. But I also don't validate what I'm feeling because, I, I don't know how to say that. Um, I'm doing it for myself because that's how I was taught that the things, and I talked with you about that, like, well, this, these are the things that I'm going to basically say. I'm cherry picking that I like about, I like the routine. I like the, the kids can go to children's church and we can have worship and we can hear a nice little message. I'm not going to go anymore to a hellfire and brimstone church. I don't need to be made to feel any worse than I already do about this life. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not saying I need to be um, coddled, but I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to believe in it. I'm not going to believe and let into my life so much. I feel like hate, Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, I feel like in this, in this, in Americans, Christian culture, um, then they say, well, you can't have that. You know, that's fake. That's not God. That's watered down. That's whatever. There's a, there's a culture or subculture of Christianity that has a hierarchy established of what true worship is and what false worship is. And depending on the church and depending on the person who's leading that church, they get to kind of decide sometimes what counts as true worship or what counts as a good motive and what counts as a bad motive. Right. And, you know, you knowing my experience with church, I want to talk. I do want to talk to religious people, um, not just in Christianity, but that happens to be what I've dabbled in most um, about this topic and it not be threatening. Mm. 
threatening to the threatening religious to people. Yeah. yeah, you know, when they want to come up and the pastor wants to shake my hand and, you know, is this your first Sunday? Um, offer things like inviting us to small groups and stuff. I've kind of learned that I, I just seem like it feels like I'm a threat. And when I, when I become intimate mm. with people mm. um, in the Christian realm, and that's hard because, again, that's where I was feeling spiritual, was in small groups, was in um, those intimate relationships that I made with people. And then when you become that vulnerable with those people and then they say, that's, you, can't, you can't question that, well, why not? I'm not it's not ill. It's not ill intent. Mm. You know, I don't want to think like this either. So it's it's difficult to even be vulnerable in a church setting um, with with Christian people. It's hard for me to be vulnerable. It's hard for me to be vulnerable with people at all anymore because of COVID. Just I've gotten used to my little bubble. But having been been rejected so many times and just really bearing my heart and soul out there and and I and I served, you know, I did serve my church my church is, um, how do you come back from that? And while on this existential crises, get what I want out of it. But when someone comes up to me as talking with me and all I'm thinking about is I want to talk to somebody about this, Yeah. but I don't trust this person enough to talk to them about this. Cause this is, you know, it's a, it's like a phobia. It scares everyone. Yeah. You know, I, I deep down, Mm-hmm. It it is a scary scary thought if you let yourself go there, and uh, this is where our conversation went. Where I thought, would you like to would you like to talk about this on a podcast? Because, in, interestingly enough, sometimes it's easier to share vulnerably in this kind of a setting. Right. I am betting you that there are tons of people that are experiencing what you have been experiencing especially with just the layering of communal trauma Mm -hmm. and loss and death. And our nation is um, becoming post-Christian. So there are a lot of people who have had experiences like you. I've had experiences like you and, you know, different parts of my walk. Yeah. And, um, and who do you talk to? Uh, Especially when, as we're talking, uh, here I am, someone who does follow Jesus, who believes in the resurrection, who has a worldview that does have something to say about what happens when we die. That influences the way that I think about my life. It influences my values on violence and peacemaking and generosity. Like, right. like you were on the other side of it. I have a worldview and a way that I think about existence that touches everything too. Um, and so it felt so strange to me and interesting to say of all the people who, sh- who should be chomping at the bit and, and opening their arms to a conversation about this, it's the least safe place for you to go to try to explore and push on this and nudge on it and say, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm sensing. And I don't know. I don't right. know for sure, but I have this feeling that if, if it all ends when I take my last breath, then there's something wrong about that. There's something absurd about that. There's something 
un, that's not right um, in my soul or whatever you want to call that. To me, that sounds like a such a fertile place to talk about the things of the spirit and to just be curious and be together and think together and go to those hard places. But I'm sure a lot of people, if they're in that space, they haven't felt safe in the same way that you have, which is what we're trying to open up on this podcast is to say, you are not the only one who is feeling the, this weight. And there are ways that we can actually walk along this together without having to make someone like us. And in order to provide a space of comfort and understanding and compassion, that's, you know, that's a hope that I have for this time that we're spending together. that's where we will leave our interview time for this episode. I would like to continue the trend that we started in our last episode with just a moment to pause and listen to an ancient voice echoing all of the same thoughts and anxieties and concerns that Emily has been sharing with me and with us. And perhaps echoing some of the thoughts and anxieties and concerns that you have been feeling lately. Once again, I'm not going to offer any solutions here today. Like I shared in that last part of the interview with Emily, my goal right now on this podcast is not to give answers or a response but instead to try to begin to create that more compassionate place that has been so lacking, I know, in Emily's experience, and I can guess, in yours and, and mine. And um, I think often the first step that we can do when we want to create more space is just offer a me too offer a normalizing response and I find that chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes does just that so I'm going to read that for us today I'm going to leave a few moments of this kind of meditative background after I'm done reading if you'd like to use that just to give yourself a moment to breathe and pause at the end And then we'll conclude our episode for today. Here we go. This is the new international version of Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a 
time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So, I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot, for who can bring them to see what will happen after them. You did it. You made it through yet another episode of the Holy District Podcast, and I want to thank you for that. I would like to invite you to take a next step and participate even beyond listening and share a question with us. 
As you might remember, we are going to do at least one question and response episode as a part of the series. We'd love to consider your question as we do that. You can send that to me at my email, erica at holydistrict.org. That's E-R-I-C-K-A at holydistrict.org. Or you can do the normal thing we tell you you can do. You can find us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at Rediscover Sacred. And there you can reach out. You can share your questions for our consideration. You can find out more about how the Holy District might intersect with your life's purpose. You can also check us out at holydistrict.org. Learn more about us there. Submit your questions about this podcast or anything else in our contact form. Sign up for a spiritual direction session with me or one of the other pastors on the team. There's lots of options for getting involved, and we're excited for you to do so. The Holy District is a growing network of people in the United States who are finding creative ways to live integrated, Jesus-centered lives in their communities, with their communities, and for their communities. We're dedicated to rediscovering the sacred in the everyday spaces where we already live, work, and play, and we're so glad you're on this journey with us. Talk to you next time.